This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to A Game of Two Halves, a sports podcast by The Straits Times. I'm David Lee and today we'll talk about Liverpool's Champions League triumph, the French Open and the Singapore national football team. I'm joined by a gleaming Jonathan Roberts and Rohit Brijnath, assistant sports editor. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, it's finally coming home. Okay, it's not exactly the World Cup and not the whole of England is celebrating. But after beating Tottenham 2-0 in Madrid, Liverpool are European champions for the sixth time. Woohoo! Congratulations, Congratulations, John Rob. Even from a Manchester United fan to a Liverpool fan, I want to say well done. But what does it do for Liverpool's and indeed Jurgen Klopp's psyche after, you know, finally the bridesmaid team and the nearly men finally won a trophy under the Germans' reign? First of all, I'll say I'm not quite gleaming at the moment because I did spend a lot of this morning watching this victory celebration, the victory parade in Liverpool, which was an immense thing. I have not seen much like it. Don't put it me through that. It was beautiful. Okay, okay. Um, Take a word for it. <laughs> it's marvellous, especially seeing Jurgen Klopp hanging over the edge of a bus. At one point, almost fell over. He was on the <laughs> top of a double-decker bus with one leg over the side. And it's just wonderful to see just how many million. Okay, I won't say millions, but something like 750,000 turned out. Now let's just make it a million. Sure, around million. People turned up, lined the streets for a slow bus parade. Every inch just lined up with people. It was marvellous, which kind of goes to show you. I mean, if you talk about what it means for the city, it's something immense that mm. you can't really quantify until you're from there, I guess, mm. or your city has that kind of victory. What it means for the club, I think this is this is not even the pinnacle. This is just a stepping stone. I think Jurgen Klopp is such a brilliant tactician, a brilliant man-manager. He has such a human touch. You see the way he reacts to the mm. guys. The emotion. This is not some clinical thing. This is emotion. I mean, it's a whole night of emotion. You mm. saw the way that Jordan Henderson embraced his dad right. at the end of the match. Right. I mean, if that doesn't bring a tear to the eye, I don't know what will. And this is just building. This is the great thing. This is not like... Okay, if you want to compare it to the last time, which is 2005, it still feels very recent for me, but then people keep reminding me it was 14 years ago. It's almost a generation ago. It's very different. 2005, we're about to lose a lot of the team. We still had a few random players inside. We're going to lose people like Dudek, Smitsa, Barosh. Barosh. Yeah, but how is this different? You know, we can look back at 2005 and call it a false dawn. You know, they did not exactly build on that. How is this team different from 14 years ago? This is everything in its right place. This is a, a full squad that is not dependent on just one player. This is a complete team. And what Klopp has done has not bought all the top players from all the top places. Mm. He's acquired and he's curated, if you like. He's brought people up. Right. So I like that, curated. Yeah, I mean, if you want a comparison, it's similar to what Arsene Wenger used to do mm. with Arsenal. Is that he never overspent. And now that you don't have to go out and buy a whole new squad each summer, it's going to be going to get some new people in. Of course, you need to build. But at the same time, it's who you get in and how you build them up to be even better. And again, just to bring up his name, Jordan Henderson, a lot of people criticise him. Right, even the, Liverpool fans. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of songs about him. Yeah. But <laughs> Sing he, us one. He, <laughs> it's, it's not uh, suitable Family for this, friendly. isn't it? No. <laughs> uh, but he's been built up into a captain. I mean, a proper captain. Yeah. I've never known a Liverpool squad to be in the right place at the right time and, like this one. And are they better placed than before to keep their star players? You know, big teams will be looking at Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, uh, Andrew Robertson even, of course, the front line, Salah, Van Dijk. Trent Alexander-Arnold is a 21? 20. 20-year-old 20 kid from Liverpool. 
and he's already got a Champions League winner's medal. I don't think he's going to be going off anywhere mm. too soon. Mm. And he, again, has been built up to become the power that he is now at just 20. Klopp is, I don't think he, the irony for Tottenham is that now they've got to their first Champions League final, they may just lose their manager. Possibly. Mm. You don't know. It's a bit of a Schrodinger's cap kind of thing. Yep. But Klopp is Liverpool all the way through. And a very quiet uh, Rohit in the corner. I, I presume you're not a Liverpool fan, but people often say that players are the ones who get a job done on a pitch. But was the real architect of this success uh, Jurgen Klopp, the manager? Yeah, look, I mean, to be honest, I don't know much about football tactics, uh, like all you geniuses or whatever. But I like this, the point that he made that, you know, Klopp has a human touch. And I sort of like to watch managers because most of them, I don't like the way they behave. And I really like Klopp. I think that human thing is very important. I like the way that he reacted to Messi and Messi's free kick in the earlier part of a couple of months ago, was it? And how he is, how he talks about his family, how he talks about his players, how he talks about winning. Like winning is not... And how he talks about other people and yeah, their families. Yeah, I, I think there's respect and then, mm. you know, he was singing and, you know, he's just... I think I'm going to watch Liverpool next season quite a lot because I want to watch him because mm. I find him a very interesting and fascinating character. They should but, have a club cam. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. But of course, but what is going to happen now is when you do this sort of thing and of course, he's been under pressure already because you come to Liverpool which hasn't won and then everybody wants you to do something and now you've done it and now they think, oh, now we've done this. We're definitely going to win the league next year. Mm. It doesn't quite work like yeah. that. Are people going to be cruel to him if he doesn't go well? They will be because that's how fans mm. are, to be honest. But he's know? making it very and difficult for people to, hey, boss, listen. <laughs> to dislike him. <laughs> this is sport, you know, nothing mm. stays forever. Right. But I don't want to sound negative because, I mean, they've done such wonderful things. And I think if you care for sport, mm. you have to like the Liverpool story. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's just a beautiful sporting story. I mean, you, you have to be taken by it. It doesn't matter who you cheer for. It's a great story for sport. And this guy, I can't think of the last time a manager intrigued me so much. Maybe probably Guardiola when he was yeah, with Barcelona. In, in a different way. Yeah. So I like Guardiola with Barcelona because mm. he was different. But he's a very uptight kind of guy, but he produced this very different type of there's, football. There's which really I no, no parallel. Or, or I don't remember a grinning genius like him. I actually think he's, for me, because I watch a lot of sport, he's the most interesting coach in all of sport. Basketball, football, tennis, any sport, for me, he's the most fascinating. Mm. He's a really really interesting character to be honest I'd really love to read a fantastic piece on him and an interview of him you know like a larger rounded mm. piece you mm. know of him talking about what things mean to him or whatever I love the way he talks about defeat and winning and things like that it's a lot of perspective I don't know of any other manager or coach or whichever term you want to use who managed the balance I mean he's definitely a disciplinarian I mean you just have to see how he's treated Sacco back in the day right. you know he's a disciplinarian but he's very much a dad right. <laughs> in some ways yeah. it's the emotion bit mm. You know, he goes out, he embraces the players. He's got Literally as well. <laughs> literally, literally. I mean, but also that's... opposing players, and that's what I also like, you know. I saw him with yeah. the Barcelona guys, and there's something about him, you know. He's, uh... There's none of this animosity that... Mourinho. Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that dominated all yeah. the 2000s, really. You know, yeah. there's the great rivalries. Yes. And already now, he's talking about, oh, you know, uh, I called Guardiola up, or Guardiola called him up, and we've promised to kick each other's butts next year. <laughs> There's meant to be a huge rivalry here, not like Pally getting on with each other. This It's a very different way of doing things. Single but maybe head. that's a good thing. Maybe that's a really good thing because as much as you want rivalries and fierceness and all that sort of stuff in sport, you also want a little bit of you know proportion. And I think if these guys can keep it in proportion, that's great. I mean, you want to beat each other really badly, mm -hmm. but you can still be you know decent while you're doing it. I think it's a sheer force for good. Yep, I would say that. 
Right, single-handedly restoring humanity and all yeah, that's good in sport. <laughs> okay, let's yeah. not give him the Nobel Prize yet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's doing a great job. Now, if you're enjoying this episode of A Game of Two Halves so far, do subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it and give us a rating. We now make the short trip from Madrid to Paris where the French Open is ongoing. The usual suspects are still in the running in the men's singles. Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic still in the hunt as we speak. But Roger Federer, all of 37 years old, oldest man in 28 years to reach a Grand Slam quarterfinal since Jimmy Connors did so at a ripe old age of 39. Uh, Roger Federer missed the last three French Opens, just saunters into the last eight without dropping a set. How does he do it, Rohit? I don't know. We're just going to have to check out the water he drinks. It's magic water, man. It's from somewhere. I don't know. It's amazing. But it's Switzerland. Lovely. Yeah, exactly. From someone. Swiss spa. But it's really great to watch. I think that maybe just the way he plays, um, people aren't tired of him. I certainly am not tired of him. Mm. It's really nice to watch him. He's made easy work of people in his first four rounds, but it's going to get tougher. So we don't know really physically where he is. doesn't matter how well you played in the early rounds. It's only when mm. you start playing players of a certain caliber who start pushing you that you really find out, okay, how fast can he move? How much strength has he got? Nobody underestimates him, of course. I mean, nobody would be that stupid. But, you know, he hasn't played three French Opens, as you said. He's played only five matches on clay this year. He said, he, you know, he laughed, you know, at the beginning of the clay season and said, I've probably forgotten how to slide. <laughs> and then he comes in and, you know, he's won 12 sets in a row. I mean, it's amazing. And I slightly disagree with the part about the early part doesn't matter because the economical way he's gone about doing it without dropping a set, yes. surely that's got to factor no, in. No, 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 that's a good uh, point. No, in, in the I, I think that matters in the sense that, yes, he's physically not pushed him. After all, he's played only seven hours and 10 minutes in his total of four matches. Yeah. And Stan Warinka, his old pal who he plays on Tuesday, Tuesday has played 5 hours, 9 minutes in his last match. Right. So, obviously, yes, that's a good point. I think that's true. But I just feel that, you know, if he beats Vorenka, if he beats Vorenka, then he's got to play the winner of Rafa and possibly Nishikori. And so, it's going to get tougher and tougher. But look, surely he's me, not going to win it. Surely Federer is not going to win it. I, I don't think that Federer can win the French Open, mm. right? I also thought Federer was never going to win the Austrian Open in 2017 and he did. But it's a slightly different story. Mm. But, I mean, Nadal is there. Djokovic is still there. And I think... I still think either Nadal or Djokovic is going right. to win it. I think it's those guys that, you know, they, I think your physical ability makes a big difference here. I think Federer on other services, he can shorten the points and that's what he likes to do, you know, use his serve very well and he's serving well. Come to the net, volley, you know, hit winners here. You can't help it because it's the slower surface, your points are going to be longer, mm. which is going to put a demand on your body. But most important thing is, as tennis players say, you look at it one match at a time. Now he's got to play Warinka, who is... 22-3 in head-to-head matches but those three matches that Warinka won were all on clay mm. and the last was in the French Open. But I think Warinka is definitely going to feel it because he's coming back from a knee injury. He played an extraordinary match against Sissi Pass. I mean, they both had a fantastic match. A6 in the fifth. But legs matter. If Warinka can get up and beat Federer, it will be extraordinary. Mm. But I would say at the moment, you'd have to give Federer the edge despite the fact that Warinka's beaten him on, on clay for what you talked about because he's played less matches and less minutes and that has to matter. So the start would have to align for Federer to win. You know, imagine if Nadal and Djokovic both go through marathon matches and if Federer makes light work of Warinka. Well, what do you think? I think that, you know, one of the things that Federer is... Federer has beaten Rafa on clay, but not at the French and that's a tough ass, man. I mean, Rafa's just a different beast. Not just on clay, but at the French Open. And because the thing is, it's five sets, you know, and you to play three great sets against him, not impossible, difficult. Right, and talking about tough ass, we go on to the local scene. The Football Association of Singapore has just appointed a new national coach in Japanese, Tatsuma Yoshida. 
But even before a ball has been kicked, he has already come under fire for what people perceive to be an underwhelming CV and poor command of English. So guys, what do you think? Does a coach CV and language ability determine how good of a coach he is? Look, I'm going to let him talk about the CV, but I'm just going to talk about language, right? For me, language, in my opinion, is nonsense. What you have to give him is an incredibly good interpreter, okay? Because that's very important. I think if you just look at sport today, I think the most beautiful part of sport today, all sport, is that there are no borders. You know, you have uh, Chinese diving coaches in Canada and you'll have coaches from Germany going somewhere else and that's the way it should mm. be, you know. Mm. We have Russian is, coaches, yeah, uh, so Iranian you, coaches in shooting, for So example. you transmit, mm. you know, knowledge wherever you go. Most of the time, the sport speaks for itself. I think, you know, when you're giving football instructions, I think everybody understands them. But I think what you need is like Goose Hiddink had a translator. His name was Chun Hanjin, who basically was not just translating football for him. Or me. He was translating, I think, Hiddink's manner. And he was translating Korean culture to Hiddink. You mm. know, so I think that's what the translator is supposed to or the interpreter is supposed to do in Singapore. He's supposed to tell this guy about Singapore culture. Because how you teach people, there's always a method. You know, some countries, you know, you can be a little tougher, some you can't. Just got to know the little things about a culture, therefore how to approach somebody and how to basically get that information across to them in the best way. So I feel give him the right interpreter, right? And I think he'll be fine. I, for me, language is not a big deal. As far as I know, they haven't got a full-time uh, interpreter or translator for him. But you think he should have one if his English is not up to mark? And that translator should be a Singaporean who speaks Japanese, not the other way around, right? Yep, absolutely. No, no. It has to be a local, right? Who speaks his language. No question about that. And that person has to be like, again, I was just reading up about the hitting experience. And that person was with the team throughout, even in the dugout. He was there in the dugout. He was there at every team meeting when hitting was going through tape. He was there. He was part of the team. Mm. So this guy has to be part of the team. He has to be like, anytime there's anything happening, he has to be there. And he has you know? to know football as well. It's not just a translator because he has to convey football instructions as well, right? He's got, I mean, it would help if he knew that there are 11 people in a team, you know. <laughs> so, you know, otherwise you're going to have a little bit of trouble. Yeah, you know, these things, when you hire people, so I don't want to criticize anybody because I don't know. But when you hire people, you've got to take all these things into account. You're hiring them, yes, but you have an interpreter. And does this interpreter know football, as you said, which is a very good point. You know, just enough to, got to know, you can't explain, be explaining offside to the interpreter, right? Mm. I mean, guys, he's got to know these things. And he's got to be there all the time. Mm. Because it's hard enough anyway, just making a good team. In any country, going in there and trying to make a good team and making a team work well is hard enough. You don't want these small things to get in the way of it. These small things should be just taken care of. Or what they say, control the controllables. This is very easily controlled and it can be controlled and hopefully it will be controlled. The players must also make an effort. It cannot be a one-sided yeah. thing, right? Because if they don't make an effort, they will make it into an excuse. So they've also got to learn some Japanese phrases and, you know, stuff like that or whatever. So, you know, to be a you, feel, you feel that we're also working, that it's not only working from one way, that you're also working from the other way. And then that makes it exactly what you said in your team effort. And you, otherwise, you're, you risk it becoming an excuse later on. And it should not become an excuse. Right. And John Rob, you know, people are talking about his less than impressive CV. You know, he's been with three J-League teams, the first team, and his stints were relatively short term at each one of them. Do you think CVs matter? Because I think about Claudio Ranieri, who's never won anything until that miracle with Leicester City. Nobody is talking about him like he's a bad coach now. 
What do you think? Well, I mean, Ranieri was a journeyman before Leicester, so right. you know, he had a reputation anyway of you know does a, fun- make- a functional manager. But does that make him a bad manager, a bad coach? No, no, yeah, anyway, exactly. The proof is going to be in the pudding. Mm. You know, it, it depends what he can do, and I think Rohit is is absolutely right. That translator, that right hand man, essentially, because it's going to be like a team within a team. Mm. Him and his translator have to work perfectly together. It can't be someone who's indifferent to the game. It has to be someone who's in the game and is willing to make you know those kind of sacrifices. There's plenty of coaches who have gone to other countries with very little command of the language. I mean, Bobby Robson, for a, you mm. know, to name just one. Possibly Venables as well. Both did the Barcelona thing. But they got on with it. And yeah, it, there's plenty of coaches that have gone with language problems. It's not unique to Singapore. Mm. If you're going to attack him on that, learn football for a start. I mean, you know, <laughs> look at what's happening in the game worldwide. Mm. As for his resume... You never know when it's going to spark into life. Give the man a chance. A ball hasn't even been kicked yet. Exactly. Let's see what happens. Right. So the Lions will play international friendlies against Solomon Islands on Saturday and Myanmar on Tuesday. Both matches will be held at the National Stadium. So let's see how the new coach fares then. And on that note, there's the final whistle bringing to a close a game of two halves. Thanks, John Rob. Thanks, Rohit. Thank you. Thanks, mate. So if you enjoyed the episode as much as we did, do subscribe to A Game of Two Halves on Apple's podcast app or on Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it or give us a rating. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.